as we look to our Lord now in prayer. And Father, as we're coming into your presence, we're coming with that mindset that you are the sovereign God. Sovereign over this universe. The design that points to the designer imprinted upon this globe. And when we look at, Father, the features of a baby, the distinctiveness of the development that has taken place over a nine-month period within a, a mother's womb, and now brought out visibly for others to see, to grow, and to develop. We see the design and we connect the design to the designer and see the sovereign God at work. We come here, Father, in Mother's Day experiences like this, knowing that there is a, an amalgamation of emotions. There are family units that have experienced addition. And in the past year, there have been family units that have experienced subtraction. There was a sword that pierced Mary's soul. But there was also a baby that filled Mary's womb. And so we see the roller coaster of life, the highs and the lows and the extremes of life. Motherhood has got to be elastic enough to be able to embrace it all. And so, Father, we turn to your word and we ask that you will speak to our souls this morning and minister to our hearts in profound ways. Our focus is not on mothers. Our focus is upon Christ. But we'll be reflecting upon our mothers this morning periodically and we ponder the significance of the phrases and the verses here. So in the minutes you give us to be together, warm these hearts, engage these minds, and shape these wills. Come here, Father, again to see Jesus and Him only. We're praying these things still again now in, in Jesus' name. Amen. What's that you got in your hands, I ask, with a smile on my face as he and his mother come walking down the hallway of this church building? He can't wait to show me. It's his birthday gift. It's a telescope. And I think I know where this is leading. So I lean over and I ask him to tell me a little bit more about his telescope as his mother stands next to him, smiling. And he says, Mommy says, it magnifies. Magnifies, I ask. He said, yeah. It takes something far away and makes it seem up close. And 
And I turned to his mother at this point, and she said, Philippians 1.20? Because we had just covered that verse in previous weeks when we met each other in that hallway from the book of Philippians. She said, what I wanted to do is to be able to give him a telescope to think about the way in which he needs to magnify Jesus. And I nod my head as I see the principles of truth being embedded in the next generation. Because the essence of Christ-centered motherhood and in reality, Christ-centered humanity is the responsibility of developing what we might call a telescopic approach to ministry. Whether we have children or not, we take where in this culture a God who might seem so removed and so distant, and like that mother in the hallway, we bring him up close and personal as we magnify him with our words and with our lives, you see, in the highs and the lows and the difficult experiences that we face, in the gains and the losses of family life. What I want to do with you is look very carefully at this whole dynamic this morning. We're going to look at it through the lens of what this physician, Luke, wrote. And what I want to do is to draw out two significant avenues by which Christ-centered mothers, but really all Christ-centered people have before us in order to be able to impact the culture around us, the family in particular, the culture in general. And the first comes out of verse 39 through 45. The number one, the Christ-centered mother magnifies the Lord through her heart for fellowship. Her heart for fellowship. We pick it up now in this 39th verse, and Luke begins with this phrase, in those days. And you say, Gary, in what days? What you've got to bear in mind with me this morning is that there has been a 400-year lapse between the closing of the Older Testament and the beginning of the Newer Testament. It's almost as if there has been silence from the heavens. No prophetic voices being uttered. No words being shared from above. All seems to be quiet. When all of a sudden, not once, but twice, in Luke's account, an angel by the name of Gabriel breaks into the routines of life. He will speak to a Zechariah, up in years, he and his wife have not had children, and then speak to a young girl by the name of Mary in her teenage years betrothed to be made to Joseph in dramatic form is making a statement to the fact that God is involved. And Luke is becoming telescopic at this point. 
Because while the Judean community might felt as though God has become distant from us, and maybe you've got family members or co-workers who might feel as though God just seems so distant from me. You become telescopic. And you begin to magnify the one who is eternal, infinite, eternal, unchangeable. And you bring the one that might seem so distant to that person, telescopically, up close and personal. And this is what God has now done with a Mary and Elizabeth. He's broken into the silence in the land of Palestine. Mary arose, we're told, and went with haste, haste into the hill country, to a town in Judah. Something is happening here. She needs what you and I might describe here as the sisterhood of motherhood. And so she makes her way to a setting where maybe somebody will understand my life situation. You ever found that to be the need of your hour? I need to make my way to somebody's door which understands my life situation. Nobody in the immediate vicinity of Mary would have understood, and so she makes her way 80 to 100 miles to the home of of Elizabeth and Zechariah. Zechariah has been silenced. He can't... He can't speak. You see, when Gabriel told him that he and Elizabeth were going to have a child, he didn't believe, and so God silenced his lips. He's a religious leader, yet God silenced his lips. And so now the only lips that have been loosed are Mary's. Zechariah has returned home, and so he gets to listen in in the late season of his life through all of his years of ministry as this young lady appears on the scene to share what God has done. Irony is here. A powerful story is unfolding here as the younger tutors the older And so she makes her way into this house of Zechariah and greets Elizabeth. And there's a sanctuary in that setting where somebody would understand, where nobody else would be able to grasp the idea of a virgin birth in the vicinity in which Mary was raised. She has to go a long way, 80 to 100 miles, three to four days, to find this kind of fellowship. But fellowship is worth the extended effort, you see, when you're in Jesus. Lauren Green understands that. She has been an anchor. She has been a religious newscaster. And she has gone through the highs and lows of life. You can see her on newscasts. But she writes in her book, Lighthouse Faith, that in a time in which she was going through extreme difficulties, she made her way to Kathy's home. 
Kathy's home in New York. What she describes is like coming to a sanctuary. She had to get away. And getting away, she came to Kathy's home where there's this sisterhood, you see, of true fellowship and found herself rejuvenated. And in her moments of despair, instead of coiled up like a fetus in my New York City apartment, she wrote, I was able to stretch my limbs both physically and spiritually in the home's welcoming arms. I could be understood there. You ever have a longing in your heart to be understood? The cozy fireplace radiated a sense of security. The stuffed sofa and chairs in the living room cushioned my contorted conscience. The front porch where I'd sit staring at the lawn brought a solace I'd long forgotten. Kathy's house. And what looked to me like adversity, calamity, and disaster was actually God looking beyond me, looking out over me, and seeing my needs. And through Kathy, the grace of God shone bright, and I knew it for certain because of one quiet moment when God spoke to me through something so ordinary and so common, the depth of relationship and the calming presence of my sovereign God in this created world. And as Lauren Green made her way to Kathy's home to find that sense, I understand So now, here is Mary making her way to Elizabeth's home, where there will be this place where the words, I understand, are being expressed from the heart. Do you have that heartfelt longing? And so in verse 41, when when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary... The baby leaped in her womb. Now, what I want you to notice at this point is that Elizabeth is six months along in her pregnancy. Mary is in the earliest stages. Forgive me if I speak biologically at this point. It's my background. But in essence... The fetus leaps for joy in the presence of the zygote. In other words, there's personhood here. And furthermore, John the Baptist is doing the work of the forerunner before he's even left the womb. He is already producing prophecy. He is already bringing a sense of awareness of the Messiah's presence. You see, we're not dealing here with potential life, as I'm prone to say on Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. Rather, we are dealing with. Life with potential. 
not potential life, but life with potential. It's the potentialities for the forerunner and the potentialities for the Messiah are brought together, you see, here in the wombs of two Jewish mothers. And these two Jewish mothers, you see, are finding a sense of sisterhood. Sisterhood. In the midst of a Christ-centered motherhood. Consider the richness of relationship now, because Mary has gone out of her way to develop what I'll call the horizontal dimension of her life finding fellowship with someone who can say, I get you. I understand. When others don't understand, I got your back. I got you covered. Women's friendships. I love some of the statements that women have made through the years about women's friendships. One, the the older I get, the more selective I am of who is in my tribe. I would rather have four quarters than a hundred pennies. Another, Some souls just understand each other upon meeting. And I'm sure Mary and Elizabeth would nod their heads. Would they nod their heads at this one? Friends come and go like waves of the ocean, but the true ones stick like an octopus on your face. You laugh, I laugh. You cry, I cry. You jump off a really high cliff. I yell, do a flip. And then, I may not always be there with you. But I will always be there for you. The richness of fellowship. And so now this sisterhood of motherhood finds itself entangled with this whole matter of, I understand. I get you. I got your back. And so Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary. The baby leaped in her womb. And not waiting for Pentecost to arrive, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. She exclaimed with a loud cry, the older, or the younger. Blessed are you among women. Notice, theologically, 
it does not say, blessed are you above women. Blessed are you among women. And blessed is the fruit of your womb. So you look at these women at this point, and you begin to ponder their similarities as well as their differences. Similarities. They are Jewish women, caught up in the idea of the Messiah. They are expectant women. They've been impacted by an angel named Gabriel. Directly, indirectly. They have both experienced what you and I might call the abruptness of life. One at an early stage, the other at a later stage. When life just seemed to be so normal, and then all of a sudden, God interrupts. You ever do that to you? God ever interrupted your life? You thought you had the doors locked and he broke in. Not only is there an abruptness, so to speak, at the beginnings. Elizabeth carrying John the Baptist. Mary carrying Jesus. But furthermore, there will be an abruptness regarding endings, where there will be such political hostility against both. John the Baptist will lose his head. Jesus Christ will hang upon a cross with Mary, gazing upon it, and die for our sins. Both will experience such oppositional forces in the course of the days that God gives them in their earthly ministries, you see. One of the two, three days later, will be raised from the dead. And so you begin to ponder the significance of what these women will experience in their souls as they watch the highs and the lows of what life brings our way. The opposition against their sons. the sense in which their sons will have to go through tremendous pain to be able to fulfill the purposes of God's plan. Notice the differences. One is in a a later season of life, the other in an early. Furthermore, you begin to ponder the fact that neither husband's engaged in this conversation at this point. Tack on the fact that It is the older woman who carries the forerunner, not the Messiah. It is the younger woman who carries the Messiah, not the forerunner. But there is no sense of, why not me here? Coming from Elizabeth. Why not me? I've waited longer as she looks at this young lady carrying Messiah. Why not me? We've been involved intensely in ministry responsibilities. I am married to Zechariah. 
But instead here, verse 43 utilizes the why in a way that honors God, not honors self. Do you use your whys in a way that honors God or in a way that honors self? Because in 43, she asks, why is this granted to me? That the mother of my Lord should come to me. Astounding. What you and I are being introduced to then at this point is the richness of humility that's necessary to produce what I'll call a telescopic ministry in a world where God might seem so distant. You're magnifying. As God interrupts. Mikhail Gorbachev, who had been the leader of the old Soviet Union, was asked this question not once, not twice, three times. Who do you look? Who do you look to for guidance? He hemmed and he hawed, and then Without answering directly, and you've got to read between the lines, which you often have to do politically. He said, my grandmother was a Christian woman. She would go to church every day, and then after church, she would come visit me and say, Mikhail, I went to church today, and I prayed for the atheist. I prayed for you. Now, isn't that interesting? Mikhail Gorbachev didn't say, as he had previously said in other interviews, I'm not a diehard atheist, but I am an atheist. No. But neither did he say, I'm a believer. Instead, he spoke of a woman who had impacted his life. He told the story about a Christian grandmother. That was his response to the question, who do you look to for guidance? As Stella Morabito notes, it was an oblique answer, but I think it was the answer. We're in a world where People have got a lot of questions about guidance and direction and where things are headed. There are generations that have been praying even for you prior to you even entering into this world. Asking God to do a work within your soul. And so now here you find the sisterhood of motherhood in Christ under this one roof. And what we find here is that as the the fetus has leaped for joy in the presence of the zygote, as the forerunner is already doing forerunner work, 
in the womb, under the roof. With regard to Messiah, who's entered into his presence long before the baptism of Jesus at the hands of John the Baptist occurred. Elizabeth now, one more time, provides the blessing. And blessed is she who believed. I can almost see the sideward glance towards her husband at this point. Um, Dude, you didn't believe. You didn't believe Gabriel when he said that this was going to take place. And now your lips are silenced. And here is Mary, and she enters in. In her pregnancy, 80 to 100 miles, three to four days worth of travel to make this announcement. The lips of belief at this point. There's more than subtlety here, as Elizabeth said. Blessed is she who believed that there would be fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. On the day of his inauguration as the 40th president of the U.S., Michael Reagan tells us my father placed his left hand upon the well worn Bible of his late mother. Then he raised his right hand and took the oath of office. Dad's hand rested on the words God spoke to King Solomon in 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin and heal their land. And in the margin next to that verse, his mother Nell had written, a most wonderful verse for the healing of the nation. A mother never knows quite where her Bible is going to end up. And what she writes in the Bible, how that inscription is going to impact others for Jesus. Elizabeth at this point is impacting others, including Mary, for Jesus. And what she, along with Mary, are doing in this sisterhood of motherhood at this point is offering a telescopic approach when it comes to impact for the glory of God. Are you? You got somebody in your orbit where God just seems so distant or they seem so distant from God? You're the magnifier. And you bring that which seems so far away up close and personal. But there's a second avenue here that I'm just going to give an overview of. That the Christ-centered mother magnifies the Lord not only through her heart for fellowship in 39 through 45, but furthermore through her heart for worship. 46 through 55, these are not two ships passing in the night, fellowship and worship. No, 
they're in tandem with one another. Because while Mary and Elizabeth not only understand the need to develop as mothers the horizontal dimension of their lives, so likewise they need to manage and to develop and cultivate the vertical dimension of their life, worship, horizontal fellowship, vertical worship. And it is after this discipling of the soul that takes place where the older Elizabeth ministers to the heart of the younger Mary that then Mary breaks forth in song and says, My soul magnifies the Lord. And throughout history, this has been known poetically and theologically as the Magnificat. The Magnificat. But notice here how it's phrased. It doesn't say, my soul magnifies my child in terms of the trials that he will face, in terms of the difficulties he will encounter. No, she gets the sum total of it all and says, my soul magnifies the Lord. Now, likewise, for you and for me, we've got to ask ourselves the question, And who or what do I magnify? She doesn't magnify herself. She does not magnify her problems. She does not magnify her dreams. She magnifies her Lord. Right after Easter and all the responsibilities of that week, I did a quick 48-plus hour run to check on my parents. And I went down into the basement, and I found an old microscope that my father had purchased for me with an inscription that my mother had written off to the side. The question just simply there was, Do you magnify Jesus? You see, as the telescopic ministry approaches such, we take that which is far away and through magnification bring it close and personal. The microscopic approach to ministry is we take that which seems so small and we enlarge it for the sake of others. Now, for some in your orbit, you might need, they might need, the telescopic approach where God seems distant. But there might be others in your orbit that need the microscopic approach where God seems so small because they've been overwhelmed by the difficulties of life and they're beginning to wonder, is God limited? Why am I going through what I'm going through? And the wise believer is able to distinguish that person needs the telescopic. That person needs the microscopic, but the lens has got to be pointed towards God. Not towards self. And not towards our problems, our dreams, our desires, even our needs. My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And now notice how he goes about 
Luke does, identifying three significant distinctives about God from the lips of Mary. We're in verse 49. For he who is mighty has done great things for me. Holy is his name, and his mercy is for those who fear him. And now what we see here is that from the lips of Mary and the writings of this physician, what she has offered us is an understanding through an expansive, comprehensive view of God. The power of God, the holiness of God, and the mercy of God. Overwhelmed with the way in the sisterhood of motherhood, she has been discipled at this point. And so she allows her her thought processes to expand to the point where she speaks not only poetically of what has God done personally, and second of all, what God has done internationally, but she ends in verses 54 and 55 with what God has done nationally. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. In other words, she's aware of the fact this is all about God's Messiah, not about her. And each and every one of us have to remember this morning as we are, whether we are telescopic or microscopic, it's not about us. It's about God. As he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, to his offspring forever, For as C.S. Lewis put it in Prince Caspian, Aslan, said Lucy, you're bigger. That's because you are older, little one, answered he. Not because you are? I am not. But every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Are you a magnifier? Do you magnify the Lord? As the worship team comes up, let's look to the Lord and pray. Thanking you, Father, for who you are. Thanking you, Lord, for what you've done. We want our hearts to magnify you. We want our lives to magnify you. And so, Father, for that one here today who feels as though that loved one, that person they're burdened for in their own orbit, so distant from you, give them the telescopic lens. And for that one in their orbit who looks at you on occasion and says, if you had been there for me, I'd have a bigger view of you. Give them the microscopic lens. And expand and allow people to see who you really are as we bring the dimensions of life together, intersecting in the heart of the mother. And for this, we give you the praise and the glory. In Jesus' name.